Hey guys, I'm back with the milk. Uh, sorry I was gone for three weeks, um, but we're here to talk about Baldur's Gate 3 today, baby. And we're joined by... Night in Gaelic, a.k.a. Emma. And welcome back from going to get a pack of smokes, Dad. I never thought this day would happen. <laughs> yeah, I kind of had a 10-year high school reunion, and then I got sick, and then I had to go on a work trip. But I'm back, so... Um, we can talk about this small indie game that you probably haven't heard of. I think everyone on my Steam friends list is playing it. I don't know about yours, Emma, but I counted 25 people on my friends list have played it recently, and three were playing it right now when I started recording. That doesn't surprise me, but I feel like trying to compare it to my Steam friends list isn't fair, because I don't think I have 25 people on it to begin with. <laughs> You don't have to admit that to the public. Oh, I'm very selective about my Steam friends list, though. Like, I... it's, a, it's a very prestigious club. I have to know you in real life and or be related to you. I have, I have somebody who I don't know who they are. They've changed their name so many times, and uh, they were a pack of llamas, and then they were a hundred llamas. And I think they, they recently changed it to something else. Yeah, I just let any and all people add me on Steam. I add people who insult me in-game. I add people who are nice to me in-game. That's not important. Emma, if people are living under a rock, can you tell them what Baldur's Gate 3 is? Oh, before you do that, I remembered something before we got too far. Today's episode is only covering up to the end of Act 1. So, this is for folks that either don't want stuff spoiled later on, um, or like they're gonna try different playthroughs um, later on in the game and so they don't know how things can exactly play out, but we are trying to keep it so that we spoil as little as possible while still discussing a very rich part of the game. Okay, now Emma, tell us what the hell Baldur's Gate 3 is. Okay, Baldur's Gate 3 is a turn-based RPG game that was released uh, this summer, 2023. Um, it uses the 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons lore and systems in order to tell its story. And it's very much a like, traditional D&D romp adventure sort of thing. Um, you got you got your main character that you play, you've got the various characters that you recruit to your party, and you all go on fun little adventures in the land of Faerun. And um, I do want to note that this game went into early access in 2020, and had been kind of the first act itself and the first region were available for play for the past three years, and then it had its official release this summer. And blew everybody's blew everybody's like expectations away. It became a huge hit. I think they sold like two and a half million copies on release weekend, and um, people are calling it like the best game of the year, like game of the year contender. And everybody loves it. This is this is a big hit for for Larian Studios, which made the game. It truly does feel like it blew everyone. Um, really good game. <laughs> really good game. Uh, if you, everyone that I've talked to who has started playing it is like, I can't stop thinking about it. I haven't even been playing a whole lot of it lately because I've been so busy, but I, like every day I think about my little guys at camp. What are they up to? What could they be doing? And then also I like restart the game with a new character. It's, 
very tempting to play things a different way, whether it's like your class, the decisions you make, this is the decisions you don't make. Um, and so it's a very immersive, uh, like you said, fun romp in this setting. Well, we're just gonna dive right in. What did you make for your first character? I think I remember, but I'll, I'll pretend. I'll go ahead. <laughs> Tiefling uh, Druid? Yes. Oh, I never would have guessed. <laughs> I feel like I'm admitting to how much of a basic bitch I am because I was like, Tiefling? I get to be a hot devil lady with horns and a tail in multiple colors with the glowing eyes? And also Druid, where I can turn into animals and then use that ability to absolutely dunk on goblins that decide they want to fight a bear. So... <laughs> But Emma, there's no way picking a tiefling would make you basic. It must be an incredibly rare group of people and no one else has ever I picked feel, tiefling. I feel like we'd be getting into like... Everyone is picking tiefling! All right, Do sorry. we need to explain what a tiefling is for the no. listeners? No, because I'm sure the listener has also picked tiefling for their first race. Um, I don't know about their class, but it seems like every fucking person I've talked to is like, my first character is a tiefling. I, okay, so me and my perspective, whenever I am handed the opportunity to be really friendly to animals in a game or to turn into an animal, I'm going to take it. Like, that's, that's something that I internally am just like... I want to be a big, scary whatever, and then use that to my abilities. Right. I want to be able to talk to the chipmunks along the side of the road. And that's something that you can do in this game. You can walk up to any animal in the game if you have, what is it, wild speaker? There's a few ways of talking, I think. But yeah, there's just like, oh, talk with animal ability. Yeah, you can walk up to a squirrel and have a conversation with it. And that opens up a whole new side of the game that you wouldn't otherwise be able to access um and so yeah obviously i picked the i picked the druid and i picked a tiefling because a hot devil lady like what am i gonna every there's no like no other choice to be made there they can all be hot they can all be hot you're right this game is exclusively full of hot yeah there i can count on one hand the unconventionally attractive people, and I think that might even be including, like, the monsters that you fight. <laughs> Why, yes, Emma, I picked Dragonborn Cleric as my first character. Oh, I'm sorry, I could redo that. No. So what was, what, was your, what was your first character that you created? Also, how many have you created? I have made three. Okay. So my first one was... My dragonborn cleric, I called him Godzilla, and I thought it was very funny. Uh, and then the very first companion you get is a cleric, so I very quickly was like, well, what's the point? Shadowheart's been doing this longer than me, and she's more experienced, and she's got a mysterious backstory, and her name's Shadowheart. So she put me out of a job, and I switched to a human warlock. A real Sigma play, being human. Um, I picked a bald warlock. Uh, my guy kind of looks like Jeff Bezos with eyeliner. Uh, <laughs> he's pretty cool. Uh, he was going to be morally ambiguous too, but we'll, we'll get into how that went off the rails. And then I'm currently doing another Dragonborn Paladin this time, so I still have the, the like, god theme in there, but I hit stuff instead of healing stuff. 
Well, he heals stuff too, but yeah, I've been big on Dragonborn and my Jeff Bezos warlock. So what is your Jeff Bezos warlock's name? Uh, I think it's Albrick. Albrick? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. I, I like was like, what sounds German, but I don't want to go through the hassle of looking it up. Okay. <laughs> so I just... That's probably a name. Hold on. Live Google. Well, not with my guy. There are eight Albrecht families living in Ohio. He's from Ohio. <laughs> He's from the Ohio region of Faerun. A real isekai. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my druid is named Sienna. I picked that because I was trying to go for like a color, colory themed name, like burnt Sienna, like that. Um, and then in the interest of journalistic integrity, when I found out I was going to be doing this episode with you, I uh, decided to make an evil run character, and I made a dwarf sorcerer lady whose name is Viola, and she has a beard, and I love her very, very much, but she's she's having some trouble right now, having just finished act one. Voila. <laughs> Viola. Yeah, Viola. Viola. Vi- yeah, like the instrument. <laughs> Are you are you happy with any of the characters you made? I mean, I assume you are since you're playing so much. Who are you most satisfied with their playthrough? Um, I am enjoying Viola and the decisions that she's made because I decided to play her not as a cartoonishly evil person, but as somebody who has survival as her main goal above all else, and she doesn't really care much about anybody else's uh, feelings that she might hurt along the way. Um, Sienna, on the other hand, is my goody two-shoes. Whenever I do a playthrough for a game, typically my first playthrough of an RPG like this is one where I try to be the bestest, goodest girl (laughs) in the realm. I don't want to hurt any NPC's feelings. I don't want to accidentally kill anybody. Um, And I want to make friends with everybody. And I think I'm doing an okay job so far. even if I've had to look up some game guides to figure out what my decisions wind up doing in the long run, because that's something you have to worry about in this game. You can make what seems like an inconsequential decision way back in Act 1, and then it will have consequences, maybe not even in the same act, like further along in the game, Um, which is something that I really love about this. Yeah, I haven't looked up future consequences, but... I am so scared of like bad things happening that I will. I, I accidentally summoned your dog companion mid battle on accident, and I like just panic quit out of the game. I was like, Scratch, get out of there! And I just <laughs> shut them. I was winning the battle, it was a tough battle, but I like, <laughs> instead of summoning like one of my imp familiars, it was just Scratch. And I was like, Get out of there, buddy! No! <laughs> so. And he didn't take any damn. It was literally he was materializing on my screen, and I hit the escape button, and I hit quit. So, yeah, this game really makes you think about what you're going to do, what you're not going to do. I will say a word to the wise, word of caution. When it tells you that, like, oh, the game is going to limit your options after you go past a certain point, like, it'll, it'll tell you, like, hey... You won't be able to access certain things. I initially interpreted that as like a limited time thing where I'd be locked into an area for a while. 
typically that just means you're moving on and you can't go back. So if you, and I'm just going to make this up here, if there's like a lonely beggar guy on the street who's asking for food and you're like, oh, I'll go back to you after I'm done, uh, after I'm done with this like main quest thing, Baldur's Gate 3 says, fuck you, he's a skeleton now. You've, you took too long, you did the main quest, he's gone. So make sure you take your time, whatever playthrough you're doing, if you want to be a goody two-shoes, help everybody first before you uh, move on too far with the main quest. Because uh, I ran into that with my little warlock guy. I kicked some cans down the road, and then I hopped in a car instead of putting them in the recycling. <laughs> my bad! My bad. I I left a lot of problems unsolved <laughs> in my in my initial playthrough. That's partially why I started that new uh, paladin character too. I was like, I'm gonna do things right now. That's interesting to me because I'm somewhat of a completionist when I'm playing a game like this, wherein if I encounter something, I don't let it go unless I know for certain that the answer to what the problem I'm trying to solve. Is, is not in the area that I'm currently in. That does happen a little bit in this game where um, the very first region that you're in is kind of a woodsy area along the coast and there are several characters in it that have a problem that they'd like you to have a hand in solving but the answer to their problem doesn't appear until you go down to the Underdark, for example, which is a cavernous, mushroom-lit, bioluminescent cave system, I guess you could call it, um, that just runs all throughout under Faerun, I suppose. Um, or um, in the mountain pass, which is just a really pretty mountain pass that totally doesn't have a bunch of Githyanki hiding, <laughs> hiding in it. <laughs> um, so yeah, me being a completionist has kind of led me down some interesting paths and found some areas hidden within those three areas in Act 1 that I would not have stumbled upon unless I was looking in every nook and cranny to try to solve everyone's problems. I would have liked to go to the mountain pass. I didn't think the mountain pass was going anywhere. Before we talk about the mountain pass, I feel like we have to touch on the main plot. I can't talk about the mountain pass because I never got to go there <laughs> with Albrick. <laughs> I, thought I'd, I thought I'd be able to backtrack. So, yeah, make sure you visit all the tourist destinations uh, <laughs> before you get too far. Get a little all right. stamp in your passport. Yeah, I'm pissed. All right, tell us the plot. All right, so the main plot, the beginning of the story, the catalyst for all of these characters meeting up, including your own, is um, your initial capture and... Um, attack, I guess you could call it, by uh, some mind flares in a ship that's shaped like a flying crustacean. It's called a nautiloid. Yeah, I think it's I think it's just a nautilus shell that's just huge. Anyway, so you are captured, they put a parasite in your head, and your um, tutorial mission is to escape the ship, and the ship crashes in, in Faerun, and from then on your main goal is to try to get the parasite in your head out of your head before you turn into a mind flare. <laughs> I hate that they call it a tadpole, too. Everyone calls it a tadpole. Uh, the narrator's like, you feel the tadpole wriggle around in your skull. It's really grody and yucky, and everyone's constantly either dangling a cure in front of your face 
or mentioning like, hey dog, in two weeks we're gonna like lose all of our skin and dissolve into squid people. So it's very, um, it's a good but also weird way to bind everyone together, but I think it's a good way to take all of these unique characters from different backgrounds and corral them into a party convincingly because I think in most situations where you try to get a party together, either they need to have a, like, naturally shared background or you just have to hand wave away what's brought them together. And I think this game has, like, threaded the needle in making something that you can kind of hand wave, like, oh, I'm in the camp too because I got tadpoles in my brain. But tadpoles in your brain is a pretty big problem and it makes sense that everyone would want to work together. Yeah, regarding the tadpoles, they really don't look like tadpoles. They're just little leeches that are in your head. And I, I get why they went with tadpole. Like, it's way more fun to say than leech. But it, <laughs> it really conjures up a specific image that I don't think necessarily fits the threat of what might happen to you. Alright, let's say what we're both imagining in three. What? Well, you said it conjures an image. So we're going to both say the image that we're thinking of. Three, <laughs> two, one. Frog. frog in your brain. <laughs> yeah, we both said frog! <laughs> Although you just went, frog. Tadpole is going to turn you into a giant frog person, which, for all I know, I haven't played a whole lot of D&D, but maybe there is a race of frog people out there, and that's how they reproduce. Hold on. Doing a live Google? <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons frog people. The Bullywog! <laughs> oh, he's ready to square up. Let's see what they look like in first edition. <laughs> looks like ancient carvings. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, these guys rule. Oh, man. How did they reproduce? Them? Oh, this one looks like they look like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> in this picture. Okay, this isn't this is not a visual podcast, but go on the Forgotten Realms wiki and look up Bullywug and you'll have a blast. I'm not looking up how they reproduce. I looked up how they reproduce. Oh, they just lay eggs and have tadpoles. That's it. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to learn any more about frog people fucking. Alright, well, for those of you who've played D&D, let us know. No! <laughs> we're good. We're done with that. So we're, good. we're done with it. Okay. We're done with that. <laughs> we're done with the Bullywugs. The Bullywugs are in Act 4 or whatever they show. <laughs> Post-credit post scene. Bullywug Thanos is sitting on his chair. Fine, I'll have to squirt tadpoles all over the planet myself. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> what were you what were what you were gonna we say? About? I was just I was just gonna say, um maybe the bullywugs have No <laughs> Fine, one bullywug <laughs> sentence and then we're Maybe the Bullywugs have their own plan of world domination, but if it's not in Act One of this game, so we're not there yet. Yeah. Maybe we'll get Bullywugs in Baldur Gate, Baldur's Gate Four. <laughs> Bully, <laughs> Bully's Gate. Bully, Bullywugs Gate. Bullywugs Gate. <laughs> Emma, who's your favorite companion character? That's a tough question. I, 
No, it's not. It is. It really is, though. It's not because even close. I like all of them for different reasons, and I I feel like I I, I need to. I need to preface this with um, the romantic choices that I've made in my playthroughs so far. On Sienna the Druid, have romanced Asterion because I think Asterion is a very... He's, he's an interesting character. I enjoy the idea that he is finding newfound freedom in having this tadpole in his head. He was a vampire for several hundred years. He couldn't go out in the sun. He lived through subterfuge. Vampire spawn. Yeah, effectively a vampire, like, and its limitations, though. Like, you can't go out in the sun. You can't go into houses unless you're invited. You can't cross running water. He's, (laughs) and he's being controlled, kind of. And he has to drink blood. So, the fact that he is kind of out in the sunshine thanks to this tadpole in his head that is shielding him from all of these side effects of being a vampire, in addition to threatening his life and maybe turning him into a squid person in the future, is an interesting dynamic for me to want to explore. So I found him interesting enough in my first playthrough where I wanted to romance him and get to know him a little bit deeper. On the flip side, I really like Shadowheart. Shadowheart is a wonderful, like, internal, internally conflicted character who is, on the one hand, trying and failing at times to live up to the expectations of her goddess, Shar, and balance that out with her own personal motivations and beliefs about how she interacts with the world. Because Shar questionable entity when it comes to ethics and morals. Like, she is the goddess of darkness. Wait, are you sure she worships Shar? Yeah. She, like, hardly mentions it. <laughs> She's never said anything she about She cannot Char. shut the fuck up about Lady Shar. Shar <laughs> tells me this. Shar, I heard Shar say at the water cooler yesterday. But, yeah, the goddess Shar will bless me. She'll yell it in combat sometimes. Anyway. Dork. <laughs> She's having this she's having this um, personal struggle about whether or not to do what her goddess would want her to do versus what she personally wants to do. So a lot of the times she'll approve or disapprove of your actions as the main character based on what she thinks Char would want. But you see her kind of edge towards being kinder to people and more understanding of different religious beliefs in the world that she lives in. And that's her own personality trying to break away from this religious religious experience that she grew up in. Right. And I find that struggle personally very interesting. Like, that whole thing with her, wonderful. A plus. Love it. How about you? Uh, Carlac's my favorite because she has the best personality, objectively. She's upbeat. She's nice. She's a dummy mommy. No. She's not. She's, you were right when you were like, she's kind of like a, what is it, golden retriever type? Golden retriever tiefling girlfriend. Yes. Yeah, she's just super nice, kind, despite the trauma she's gone through. Um, she has flaws. She will go apeshit and just like burn a building down if she's feeling especially excited. Um yeah, I think her her background is really interesting, and it weaves in with the story of the game pretty well. And she's believable, too. Um, I like a lot of the other characters, but a lot of times they're so edgy or 
like goofy that it takes me out of the action. Like I like Shadowheart. I I went back and forth on her a lot. But one of the things that got me about her is that there would be a scene that is not focused on Shadowheart at all. Like, people are having an interesting conversation, and then her hand glows, and she goes, Oh, it hurts. And it's like, all right, everybody pump the brakes. Shadowheart's not getting enough attention. Let's talk about her back. So this is about her now. And so, you know, she's great. I just find Carlac a little bit more, like, natural how she fits in with the story because she's got um ties with will you'll run into various like devils throughout the story that like have beef with her um and so i just i I think she works really well both as a narrative device and uh she's smoking hot and awesome and she's barbarian and she kicks ass however (laughs) there it is you know (laughs) there was one man standing in my way to get to Carlac, and some of you might be thinking, it's Will, because Will has beef with Carlac initially. No, no, no. At the party that you eventually have in camp, Gale, the wizard, invited me to go talk to him, and he was like, hey, do you want to see a magic trick? And I thinking, sure, this is my coworker, this is my friend, I'll go over and I'll see this magic trick. He tried to fucking get in my pants, and I rejected him, and then everyone at camp thought that me and Gail were a thing. And even Carlac thought, I'd be like, no, I'd, no, no, Carlac, baby, we're, we can be something. And I hate Gail. <laughs> did, did you see they had to patch one of his things? <laughs> what did the patch say, Emma? I, I didn't read the patch notes, but I did see a summary that essentially said that... Um, with dialogue with Gale, it was too ambiguous that players were choosing a romantic option versus a platonic option. Yes. So they had to patch it to fix it so that players would know whether they were explicitly about to go into the romantic subplot of Gale or not. And I find that hilarious because I've played a decent number of Bioware games in the past, and Bioware solves this problem by putting a little heart next to the will open a romantic subplot options in dialogue. Like, this is a really easy fix to me. The fact that they had to patch this, of all things, after the release is eternally hilarious. So, for those of you that don't know, Gale has a condition, spoiler alert, where... Uh, he needs to, like, consume magical items, otherwise he'll, like, blow up or whatever, who knows. Um, and so all I did was feed him a pair of boots, and he hit on me at a party, I turned him down, I gave no romantic interest whatsoever, and later on he's like, this might be my last day alive. I just wanted to let you know I love you. And I had to turn him down again. Like, he is a, he's a monster. He's a manipulator, I think. I feel like we need to explain a little bit about why we don't like Gale all that much. I feel like I just did that for five minutes. <laughs> well, no, you've been talking about like the mechanical issues with his character in the game, but personality-wise, why don't you like Gale? Well, on top of him taking a very basic platonic interaction, and then a night later going, I love you. <laughs> he acts like he's the smartest fucking thing ever. He kind of pulls the Shadowheart thing, too. 
Like, one time, Shadowheart, like, explains that she's, like, all about Char. And fucking Gale, like, swooped in and is like, My darling Mistra doesn't get along with Shar. And it's like, okay, yeah, dude, we remember you fucked a goddess. Like, get over yourself. He sends you voicemails with little illusions of himself that show up, and they're like, Beep boop, I'm Gale, come meet me at the forest clearing, I want to make out. Didn't you have one where he was dead, and he <laughs> sent you a voicemail? If uh, he dies in battle, like dead, dead, not just downed, you'll get a little cutscene of his voicemail version of himself popping up and saying, just to inform you, I have died, and this is not a good thing, because if I am not revived to manage my condition, I'll blow up the world. <laughs> Eventually, in confirmation from a friend that if you leave him unrevived for three days, he will, in fact, give you a game over because he will blow up the world. <laughs> what an <laughs> asshole, dude. I find Gale annoying, yes, but I also find him hilarious because of all of this. Because I've known Gales in my lifetime. I've known men that are very full of themselves and were never satisfied with what they actually had in their real life. Like, this guy was the top of his game at wizard school or wherever. He was beloved by a goddess, literally fucking a goddess, and he decided, I know better. I can become the master of magic. I can fix this issue that I have. And then obviously it went wrong. Obviously he wound up with this hunger for magical items that will inevitably destroy him. And... <laughs> That's another thing. And <laughs> That's like one of the first interactions that you have with them if you, okay, I intentionally ignored him in camp after a while. He has an exclamation point above his head, and then he's like, hey, you have what I need. <laughs> Come on, give me your magical item so I can, mm, yummy. Like, he's so pushy, and it's like kind of scary when he does it too. So, yeah, he sucks. Yeah, <laughs> hey, I fucked a goddess, but then I goofed it, and now there's a black hole in my chest or whatever. I actually, I like him as a younger wizard, though, because he does, because you think about, like, the idea of, like, an, a really old, learned, wise wizard from D&D. &D, right. And you wonder, you wonder what they were like in their youth, and I look at Gale and I'm like, oh... He made a bunch of mistakes and was completely full of himself and everything was his own fault, but he never, like, actually owned up to it. And then when he be turns, like, 150 or whatever, he'll, you know... I thought he was, better. like, super old, though, isn't he? He's old, but he's not, like, wizard old. Not yet, anyway. It's, it's, I think it's kind of like an Aragorn situation. Hold on. Hold on, we're looking at How old is Gale? Baldur's <laughs> Gate. Oh shit, Gail's like my age. Yeah. According to the. To, okay, yeah. Early 30s? Dude, Mistra's got really low standards. <laughs> what the fuck? He says already, like, when you're first meeting him, that he was a super talented uh, study when it came to learning wizardry. And so, who's the source on that? Gail, of course. Okay. So, you know. You do get confirmation that what he's saying did happen, though. Like, he had a thing with Mistra. She... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the idea that you had a goddess in your bed who was telling you, everything's great, why would you try to, like, change things right now? And then you're like, no, 
I know better. I'm gonna go master all of magicdom and then wind up the way that Gale does will never not be funny to me. He's an asshole. He really is. I despise him. But I find him entertaining, so. Someone that I warmed up to that broke out of the cycle that Gale is stuck in is Lazelle. I thought she sucked initially because she is constantly pulling a knife or a sword on you and insulting you and using strange words that I don't understand. Um, But I've been romancing her in my Paladin playthrough, and it's very funny. Just leaning into when she's like, I want your pickle, (laughs) and just going, sure. And then she'll be like, chook, all right, I'll come get that pickle later tonight. And it's fun. It's a fun little cultural exchange that we have in bed. So, and she's just interesting to have in the party. She will, even after you're, you know, romantically involved with her, though, she'll still pull a knife on you sometimes. I agree with you, but I I find it interesting that you came to that conclusion because I know you didn't do the Mountain Pass playthrough stuff with her. Where you go to Not track yet. down... When you go to the Mountain Pass to track down Lazelle's crush... You get a lot more character interaction with her, especially if she's in your party during it, that you, that kind of gives you a hint into her own internal struggle and um, her relationship with her people and her people's goals, like that sort of stuff. So I am looking forward to you playing it because I would love to talk about it a bit more, maybe in Act Two. Yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Lazelle as well. She does come on very strong. <laughs> <laughs> she does uh, disapprove of a lot of like basic moral stuff that you that you do in game if she's in your party. Lazelle disapproves popping up in the corners, basically like a banner that you're doing the right thing. <laughs> I am still hung up on the fact that the game will have Lazelle stuck in a cage, and two tiefling refugees have her caught, and they're insulting what she looks like. They're like, uh, she's green, yucko, which, okay, first off, you guys look like literal devils, so I don't know where you get off. She's stuck in a cage, and they're literally, like, debating, like, do we kill her now, or do we leave her for the goblins to kill her? And then if you intervene, like, as a paladin, you, like, get a slap on the wrist from your paladin authorities if you do the quote-unquote wrong thing. I killed those tieflings to get her out of there. Um, after I failed, like, a skill check to trick them. And the powers that be are like, no, you shouldn't have done that. Leave Lazelle to die. Leave her in the cage. And, like, I... I, That got me some sympathy for her. Because the world just seems to be against her. And free free her from the cage. Free her. (laughs) Let her live. Do you know anything about the the Gith, the Gith Yankee, the race that Lazelle belongs to? Uh, well, they go through the Astral Sea and are actually smarter than everyone else, and they'll kill you with a single blink of their eye. I don't, I don't mean what Lazelle says about them. I mean just historically speaking. I know that they were enslaved by the Illithids, and I know that they have a lot of psionic powers, and they come from like a different plane. I think. Yeah. I'm not a big D and D guy. So I don't know all the lore, but that's what I've skimmed. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying for the tieflings to find her weird looking is not that strange because Gith just aren't Oh, around. then just kill her. They're just, just kill her. 
Just <laughs> fucking kill her then. I don't think I don't think that they should, you know, react to strange peoples by saying, why don't we just kill it? Like, that just seems like a bad way to greet somebody you've never met before. Why don't we just kill these fucking people? <laughs> but also, like, she, you have dialogue with her if you talk to her where you're like, you're a weird looking person. And she's like, I expect I'm your first gift that you've ever met. Like, she's dealing with a lot being the only gift around. <laughs> it sucks, dude. I wish people would get off her back. Meanwhile, the tieflings are just the race that everybody's racist toward because they look like devils. So. Yeah, which, well, that that was what surprised me, where I was like, shouldn't you guys be a little bit more sympathetic? Like, clearly, Lazelle is wearing armor, can talk. She's just standing there. Like, she's a person. Like, just talk to her. Okay. Although, although, we don't know what she said before they put her in the cage. I get the impression she didn't say anything. I think they trapped her in there and she, <laughs> she refused to talk to them. Because she doesn't even talk when you roll up. Like, she talks in your head using the tadpole connection. Kill I think she literally just stood in the cage, arms crossed, looking angry. That's no reason to kill somebody And either. the tieflings are like, is she with the goblins? Like, what do we do here? And meanwhile, she's in your head going, kill John Lennon. Kill John Lennon. <laughs> like, there are ways you, that that could have gone much better for Lazelle, and she just didn't take any of that. She probably, like, tried to give them a history lesson on Gith shit, and they were like, just put her in the fucking cage. When I don't you, care about the astral plane at all. When you show up at the Emerald Grove looking for hints as to where her people were sighted, because you hear that there are other ones around, <laughs> she finds the guard who saw them, and then makes him essentially lick her boots before telling... And that's hot. <laughs> Before telling her where he saw the rest of her people. Slay. If that's the way that you're facing the rest of the world, then I'm not surprised they're a little bit hostile to you. (laughs) We just don't have all the facts. We don't know how it all panned out. You're right. They don't know that the Gith Yankee are the saviors of the universe. (laughs) Yeah, they don't know that she's being so brave right now. (laughs) Alright, enough about licking boots and hot stuff. Um, but, still talking about the Emerald Grove, who's right? Who's right? Who's right? Oh boy, um, I think Halson's right. Halson's in jail. Halson is in jail. And he's not in the Grove right now. Oh, are we just going based on the tiefling refugees versus the druid, uh, the druid build the wall faction? (laughs) However you want to view it, and you can throw in Halson, I mean, what does Halson believe? Halson was the one who took in the tieflings in the first place and was willing to shelter them and defend the grove against the goblin attacks. Okay. So, hel- the the whole, like, conflict stems from the fact that he's not around. He got captured by the goblins, he's in jail, and uh, his protege, I guess you would call her? I would not call it. I would not call her a protege. What would you call her? She's just another high-ranking druid. We're talking about Kaga. Yeah, Kaga is of the opinion that the tieflings have caused too much trouble, so she wants to kick them out and seal off the grove. The tieflings obviously are not happy about this because they're a bunch of civilians who are trying to escape to Baldur's Gate, and they aren't going to make it if they don't have a little bit more time to prep for their trip. You need to you need to explain that there's like goblins running around. There's like a like an evil force out in the countryside. It's definitely not just two blocks away. Um, <laughs> so you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit. Things are a little close together, but 
but in the lore, they're kind of far away. So you have this grove with refugees hiding in it, and there's goblins that want to kill the shit out of everybody. Um, and yeah, the, the druid faction that's been taken over by a hardliner wants to boot out the refugees, and they just want to seal off the grove. The refugees don't want to die. Understandable. Yeah, very selfish. We're not talking about the goblin perspective, which they capture everybody and tadpole them, probably. Yeah, I believe they're looking for the artifact, which is something that the player character is probably carrying at this point. Or maybe Shadowheart, depending on where you're at in your, in your first act. Yeah. Um, and so they're kind of searching the countryside looking for this artifact that was supposedly in the crashed nautiloid um, that you climb out of at the beginning of the game. Um, and they're also just trying to, you know, take over the area, decimate the local forces, and wreak havoc in the name of the Absolute. Yeah, which is a cult that I can't talk too much about because <laughs> more details come out in Act 2. It's a cult associated with tadpoles in the head. And you also have a tadpole in the head, but yours is not connected to the Absolute for some reason. Perhaps because of... <laughs> Perhaps because of that little artifact you carried maybe, around. Maybe. Let's not give away too much there. Anyway, so yeah, the goblins just want to burn the Emerald Grove down. The druids want to protect the Emerald Grove and don't necessarily care about the tieflings, and the tieflings just want to survive. Yeah, very selfish, again, of them. I So I did some research today. I cast Shatter on their idol that's central to their ritual. And I regret to inform you that it does not shatter it instantly and lead to everyone coming together and realizing that they need to band together to survive. It just triggers the cutscene where the druids go, it's time to get rid of the outsiders. So, that kind of sucks. I, in, in just saying here, I agree with, like, Halson. I think most nice people reasonable people would say Halson has the correct stance of welcome the refugees, work together with them. Yeah, right? the, the morally good least people dying route that you can take is to go rescue Halson from the goblin camp. He comes home, tells Kaga she's being a bitch, and then <laughs> and then reassures the tieflings that they're good to stay as long as they need to and they can leave when they're ready. I, on my evil dwarf lady uh, run-through, decided to take a hands-off approach to the situation. And when you first roll into Emerald Grove, you find out that there is a small child in custody for, for trying to steal the, the idol that they're using to seal off the grove, their ritual. I just stood back and watched as Kaga's snake bit her and killed her. She kills her?! She kills the little Holy girl. Holy shit! <laughs> and then Kaga and her second-in-command, I forget his name, the one with the wolf that's walking around right. in there, they're like, oh god, this isn't gonna go well, what do we do? And Kaga's like, just go tell the parents that she's dead because she tried to steal the idol, and then we're gonna take back the grove for ourselves. So I walk out, tell the parents that their child has died, <laughs> <laughs> and then the druids wage war upon the tieflings 
because at that point you have to choose to side with one or the other. Like, you don't get to go get Helsin and fix things. Yeah, I imagine. So, the Tieflings and the Druids fight. In my game, the Tieflings won because they outnumbered the Druids because I killed Kaga and the other, like, high-leading people because they attacked me in the cave. And um, then when I went and sided with the goblins... The goblins just came through and killed the tieflings at the end. And then the grove is empty. There's nothing in it anymore. Except for a couple goblins that are, like, looting around. And the little grove section where they're doing the ritual. A poison cloud descends on it. Like, Sylvanas has forsaken this place. It's really kind of dark. Yeah. This game can go from, like, cheerful, like, haha, like, this is just a fun little lighthearted D&D sesh to the consequences of your actions have killed innocents. That's cool. Although I don't think I could ever go through with that. I don't know if I could do an evil playthrough just because not only I'd feel bad, but also my companions would probably disagree. Did any of your companions, like, approve of you attacking the grove? No. When I, <laughs> no. I don't none of them like disapproved exactly either. When I was in like combat in the grove, that is. Um, they all just kinda went with it because whoa, we're being attacked, we gotta fight back, that sort of thing. Right. But later when you have that party at your camp, which if you sided with the morally good side of things, the tieflings come to your camp, they have a nice little party with you. Do you get goblins? If you, you get goblins oh, at your camp. Shit. You get to party with the goblins it if might you be worth. with them. But some of your companions no likey. <laughs> they don't like the goblins? Immediately when you show up to the goblin party at your camp, Will is on his way out. Will says, I'm not going to be part of this. Bye, and he just disappears. So he leaves the party? He leaves your party entirely. He's gone. That kind of makes sense. He's <laughs> literally all about protecting the Sword Coast, and you are making it worse. Gale also no likey. Gale says, this was stupid. We completely destroyed, like, a sacred place to Sylvanas. What are you doing? And you can pass a speech check with him to s- determine whether he sticks around or not. Wow. I managed to persuade him to stay, but his attitude toward me was very low thereafter. He's not happy. Um, I think I appealed to his sense of survival. Yeah, I think it was a survival <laughs> check. I was like, Gailing. you and I are better together. Just stick around. We'll, we'll make this work. <laughs> I didn't mean for any of that to happen. Just don't look that way. <laughs> That's insane. Um, I also want to say that at after um, Arabella, the child, uh, died in the confrontation with Kaga, I hadn't recruited Karlak yet. Okay. So I went to go find her with Will to, like, hunt her down. Yeah. And I talked with her, and she had already heard about what happened at the Emerald Grove and said, I don't want to be any part of this. So she, I never got to recruit her as an evil dwarf lady. Wait, she won't join your party if Kaga kills the kid? Yeah. You can't even tell her, like... Hey, I didn't mean to let her die or whatever. You you did you can. Like I said that and she's like, No, I don't want any part of this and I don't know if it's because of the fact that she sides with the tieflings or the fact that she doesn't like conflict in general, but she just refused. I did manage to keep Will from killing her. Like <laughs> Sheesh. Will Will did have his moment right. of realization. Are there any options or choices you wish were available in this game? Uh, just to keep it short, because we just spent a lot of time on the Emerald Grove. 
I wish you could just blow up the idol and force the two sides to work together without saving Halson. Um, but I know that isn't a possibility, unfortunately. <laughs> Emma, do you have any? I wish that there were some more choices and options when it comes to the hag. Yeah. I Side with her. I did side with her. And then what of. happened? Well, okay, so there's this hag that you meet. She's in disguise when you first meet her. And then later she reveals herself to be a hag. Um, you can choose to uh, attack her and try to save the people that she's got, you know, stuffed in her little cave underneath her house. Or you can side with her and say, hey, help me out with this tadpole problem <laughs> that I got going on here. And she'll attempt to help you and then be like, ah! I can't do anything. Anyway, here's a magic eye. <laughs> what is the, what, what's the magic eye do? So if you ask for her help, she says, oh, I just want one of your eyes as payment. And she'll take one of your eyes out to try to get at the illithid tadpole in your head. Yeah. And then as soon as she's poked around in there, but she's like, ah, this has netherese magic in it. I can't do a damn thing about it. Sorry. Anyway, here's a magic eye, and the eye gives you a plus one to intimidation checks, minus one to perception, and... No shit. Um, <laughs> gives you a, uh, a debuff in battle if you're fighting hags. Okay. So, yeah, that's, that's that. I really wish there was a bit more nuance, because, um, it's really just kind of an either-or situation with her, and there's a lot of opportunity, I think, in having a hag character in there, where you could go through her house and maybe find something that might be useful, or um, maybe one of the people that she has uh, kidnapped and imprisoned down there would have some kind of a, like, side thread that you could follow to help you out. What? I don't know. I, I kind of fiddled around in there a bit. I haven't, again, I haven't looked at any guides for it, so I... Maybe there's some stuff in there that you can find. But I actually used Basilisk, was it Venom or something, to unfreeze a guy that was petrified. Uh, turns out he had a terminal illness and died shortly after. Um, but, yeah, there's a dude in there that, like, if you want to talk to him, you can free him from the stone he's trapped in. But then he dies. But then I talk to the dead, and I just talk to him some more. Which is really cool. I think that's another neat feature of the game is letting you talk to dead people. Uh, I like to do it to people that I already know their life story just to kind of taunt them because uh, I don't gain any new information. I just, like, I talked to the hag after I killed her and she insults me from from beyond the grave. But that's fun. whatever, I win. I never really did any talking to the dead. I do talk to a lot of animals and sometimes they insult you too. So, yeah. Are there any races you wish were playable? I... Uh, goblin. It'd be nice if you could play as a goblin or a bugbear, for that matter. Yeah. There aren't full orcs, are there? There's only half orcs. Available to play as. I think there's orcs that are running around. I could be wrong. I mean, like, for player character options, I think you yeah. can only pick a half orc. Right, you, you can only be a, a half orc. orc. Be nice. Any of those other, like, weird side... Uh, critters like Aarakocra or... Um, How did you just call me? You know, the crow people. The, the people that are just crows. I don't know them. The crows with wings. Well, yeah, most crows have wings. Yeah, they're like human-sized crows with wings, the Aarakocra. Are they in Act 1? 
No, I, they're not even in this game as far oh, as I okay. know. Oh, okay. I, I was just making nice. sure you didn't miss something, like, huge. Nah, <laughs> not that I know of. Um, I think it'd be kind of fun if you could play... I forget what the shapeshifter race is called. That'd be cool. Anyway. You, there's already a lot of shapeshifting in-game, though. True. So I feel like the novelty would kind of wear off. Um, Wouldn't it be crazy if you could just play as a mind flare from the start? <laughs> Dude, I tr okay, so there's a mind flare uh, pretty early on in the game that's like getting crushed under some rubble. And you get this cutscene where it's like trying to dominate you but in, in your mind. Don't get too kinky. And I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna side with the Mind Flayer right away. This was with my Warlock character. And I picked Great Old One for his background, so I was like, oh, it's just like Cthulhu stuff, yeah! Um, uh, if you try to help it, it just makes out with you until you die. So, can't side with the Mind Flayers right away, regrettably. You just gotta stomp it on the head. But yeah, that'd be cool, just right away. I, well, I was so excited with the intellect of ours, too, with us, the little companion buddy you get for the tutorial. I thought he was super cute, and I was like, I can't wait to have this guy with me the whole game. And then the ship crashed. Whoops. Yeah, that was <laughs> sad. I like that little guy. Poor little brain with legs. Yeah. Have you heard about the controversy? Do you about know anything about this? The whole... Uh, People saying that game devs say that the bar has been raised too high. I have, in fact, heard some of that controversy. And I, did I you wanted, do any reading into it? I did do some reading into it. And I do want to say that I see both sides here, which may be a little controversial. I don't... I'm going to take the even more controversial side of... I think IGN and a bunch of people who don't know how to read on the internet turned it into much more of a firestorm than it needed to be. And I think the quote-unquote criticisms, or it wasn't even criticism, it was dialogue about this, I don't think are nearly as inflammatory as your average capital G gamer makes it out to be. But I, I want to hear your side first. Do you want to kind of reiterate what the controversy is over? Somebody on Twitter, um, it was a game dev, fuck, I even, it's like a game dev with some decent experience under his belt, too, said that Baldur's Gate is, like, an exceptionally good game, but the standard of quality that it's put out there isn't what you should come to expect, because... It's kind of anomalous in the circumstances that led to Baldur's Gate 3's creation. And, like, people on Twitter, game devs, were, like, explaining, like, yeah, they had funding, um, they had time, they were allowed to work with a AAA, like, or not AAA, they were, they were able to work with a big property that's been fleshed out a ton. They had the wind at their backs with... A D&D movie. D&D is bigger than it's ever been. It's in Magic the Gathering right now. It's just like D&D is crammed on everyone's throats. And so they've had great publicity. They've been able to spend a lot of time and effort on this. And it just... People thought it was making excuses when really this dev was just explaining. Here's why this was an exceptionally good game and it's performing really well. You shouldn't get your hopes up too high that this will just happen all the time. Yeah, I think that's a case of the internet taking the 
least charitable interpretation of somebody's words and running with that is what they meant rather than what they actually meant. Yeah. Because I totally get where the dev is coming from. Um, with Larian Studios and the development of Baldur's Gate 3, they had everything that they needed to make this a smash hit. Like, they were going to hit this out of the park, again, with, like, the, the climate when it comes to how D&D is viewed nowadays and the movie and everything that was driving interest in this. There was no way they weren't going to have at least somewhat of a hit, even not even if it wasn't as much of a hit as it wound up being. The dev talking about how you shouldn't expect that all the time, totally get that. But I also get where the consumers are coming from here too, because they're reading that and they're thinking, this game is great, like it wasn't broken on launch. If the worst <laughs> thing about it is the fact Gale. that Gale keeps hitting on you and not interpreting your responses as disinterest, like that's a pretty okay thing to patch out. Like, it's not completely broken character models it's not a dead ends on quests because you forgot to pick up an item or something glitched out or something like that it's really like polished this game is in a great state for release and i think a lot of people are really tired of like triple a gaming studios putting out crap that's just broken on release date yes and then patching it later or adding dlc to fix like major story beats later that sort of thing so I think it just got that crowd fired up and they came back at the dev being like, we should expect this from AAA Studios. You've got plenty of money and time to figure this stuff out too. And they're not seeing the dev side of it, which is, well, AAA Studios have enormous teams of people, which means making communication between the departments hard in and of itself. And things get handed down from corporate that change the product midstream that you were making. There's not some set in stone system like D&D that they're following. They're building off of different game engines sometimes. They don't have the cohesion that Larian Studios had going into creating Baldur's Gate 3. I, I think that was one of the big things I saw was their, the lack of corporate meddling. I could be wrong. I could be misremembering. Because I think it is fair to hold AAA Studios to a high standard um like yeah maybe don't buy every single game that ea shits out uh, every year and see how they react to that maybe they'll actually have to make better games but yeah i would also like shorter games with less crunch and worse graphics and i'm not joking <laughs> that, that whole thing like yeah that's i i get where that's coming from um, I don't know, just support good games, stop buying shit games, you guys. I know we all want to buy Among Us on Steam. Don't do it. Yeah, anyway, catch my upcoming episode about Starfield <laughs> in about oh. six months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that will happen. That is going to happen. Um, interpret that how you will. <laughs> But yeah, um, I think I think both sides are right about their respective thing that they are repping, but I don't think that that's what the game dev who initially started the conversation was trying to say. Yeah, yeah, the game dev was explaining the exceptional circumstances, and your your engagement rage farmer people were like, "You think I should have bad game?" Ah. <laughs> 
<laughs> game devs totally owned by Larian Studios, pissing and shitting literally on Twitter. Triggered? And, like, if you try to look it up, because um, I was doing some reading about this, like, a week ago, and it was literally that. Like, if you look up uh, Baldur's Gate, like, game dev controversy, it's just a bunch of, like, knuckle-dragging, mouth-breathing, outrage farmers on YouTube who are, like, game devs crying about Baldur's Gate 3, and it's, like, smug Asterian, like, facing a crying neckbeard person, <laughs> and it's, like... Can you guys not read? Yeah. Uh, it's it's goofy. It's definitely people who have never had to work a 16-hour day crunching to finish some AAA title that will inevitably get released incompletely. So, yeah. Yeah. It's sad. The state of the gaming industry is kind of reaching a tipping point. Is it? Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> I think uh, they've reached that point where profit is starting to like be the god. But oh, it's it's just else. starting to become that. Okay, you're you're right. It's been like that all along. <laughs> Let me introduce you to loot boxes. Uh, I think I think the pursuit of profit has always been there, yes. But I think that the pursuit of profit versus the rights of the people that are working towards said god of profit are starting to be much more elevated than they used to be. People are more aware about the conditions that games are being made in. That's people. fair. People are starting to demand uh, better workers' rights for those who are creating these games. I think that that conversation is just going to get louder. And I think it eventually will turn into something better, hopefully. Yeah. Let's talk about adaptation of RPG mechanics into gameplay, because I do actually have a little bit to say about that. Okay. Um, I think it does a really great job with the checks, with with the rolling system that you do with the dice. I kind of enjoy that, but when it comes to combat, I have complaints. Oh, <laughs> uh, does someone not like that their attack automatically didn't hit? Yeah. I oh Okay, so this God. is just me. I'm not a big fan of turn-based combat in general. And I'm not just talking about video games, I'm talking about tabletop RPGs as well. Like, whenever I, who has GM'd, DM'd a couple of games in the past and has played as a player, get to the combat portion of a you're, campaign. You are, nev- you are never a combat character I am never, in my campaigns. I am never a combat character. I don't spec out for that if I'm playing. And if I'm the GM, I don't plan it. It is the last thing that I do. I much prefer telling the story and giving checks about insight and perception and like exploration when it comes to my campaigns. So to have so much of this game be dedicated sometimes to turn-based combat is agonizing for me. <laughs> we're, well, we're an hour and six minutes in and we've revealed that Emma does not like most of the game. Uh, we've This is a real Trojan horse. You've been ambushed. This is, this is like, slotting in really well with my, um, my desire to be the goody two-shoes of the game in my main playthrough. Um, and it comes into play a little bit with Viola, the evil dwarf lady, as well. So... When, (laughs) I think you remember, I told you about I was having trouble on a section where I was in the Underdark and I was supposed to be, one, rescuing some deep gnomes from slavery, two, fighting off the Dwergar that had enslaved them, and three, dealing with the representative of the Absolute who'd been sent down there in the first place to dig out a temple. 
and I had a fight between those three like and you're getting your factions, and I was getting my ass handed to me. I had played through it through like three or four times. I was so mad. And then you came to me and said, well, did you know that you can turn them against each other? Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, there goes two hours of my life that I spent bashing my head against a wall when I didn't need to be doing that. And I feel like that more often than not when I'm doing combat in these games, especially if a fight doesn't go the way I want it to or need it to. Like when I was playing my evil dwarf lady, same fight that I had last <laughs> night, Nier kept dying. Nier kept getting his, getting laid out on the floor, and I needed him to be alive for me to side with him because he is the unquestionable evil guy in that situation. Yeah, he sucks ass. He's he's the worst. So I had to do that fight three times again <laughs> <laughs> on top of me already. Oh my god, hating dude. it the first time. Oh, you're gonna get so <laughs> many people. That's the fun of the like. That's a fun part of the game. It's not fighting. fun to me. If I have to replay a fight... This is why I don't like Dark Souls. Oh, I hate no. going into you a game. The, you, this whole episode is <laughs> fucked. If I have to do a fight... How do we get on the Dark Souls train? More than twice, I am not having a good time. Uh, and what difficulty are you playing on? I'm playing on easy. That's what makes... <laughs> That's what makes this so silly to me. Like, yeah, you're right. It is kind of silly. <laughs> because these fights should be easy as hell for they you. They should be. But if I miss a roll... Or Tell them about the robot. Or if Nier misses Tell a Tell them about the robot fight. Okay. Gonna, um, I won't be happy until you're crying oh now. Oh, God. Spoilers for the Grim Forge, everyone. So in that same area, there's a forge, and you go down there to forge some adamantine weapon or armor or whatever. Cut to the fight. chase. Get to the robot There's fight. a giant robot that guards the forge, and it's a gimmick fight where I could not figure <laughs> out what the gimmick was. All right. I'll, I'll take over. I'll explain the gimmick because sure. I had to explain it to you. Um, there's a robot made out of adamantium. And if you read the books that are scattered throughout the area, you become familiar with the properties of that particular metal. Um, you can heat it up, and then you can whack it really hard, um, and it'll like bend and buckle, and it can be formed into different shapes. Um, but then if you cool it afterwards, it's like fucking indestructible. So... Jump cut to Emma fighting a giant robot made out of this shit, and she hasn't read the books. <laughs> and so it's just fucking indestructible. This is so out of character for me, because I'm such a hoarder in these games. Nine times out of ten in that game, I'm over-encumbered, because I've picked up every book I see in the room. But just because I picked them up does not mean I read them. So chances are I picked up the book and I skimmed it. And, and they're <laughs> so short! Every book in this game is like two pages. <laughs> it's two pages, that's too much. Oh <laughs> my god. What you want me to do? <laughs> So anyway, chances are I had that book in my inventory and I just hadn't read it. And I'm sitting down there wailing on this robot that's taking zero damage for three turns of combat <laughs> until everybody's dead. <laughs> <laughs> and I turn and I turn to you angrily and I'm like, I can't figure out what I'm supposed to be doing here because he was taking damage at the beginning and now he's not. <laughs> And then I tried to I tried to explain the book thing and she yelled at me. <laughs> I should have let I should have let that robot just beat the shit out of because you. Because I didn't want to read a book, I just wanted an answer for how to beat It's this. a pamphlet! I just to, <laughs> it's not even a book, it's a pamphlet. I just wanted to read this dumbass 
I just wanted to beat this dumbass robot so I can have my cool adamantine armor. <laughs> it is kind of funny to think that he was just sitting in the tubes, the lava tube, waiting. He's just, he's just hunkered up in what there. What the fuck was he doing in there? I don't know. Was he in lava or was he in nothing? He was in lava. He well, no, in the tubes. Was he just waiting in the tube for the lava to come out? Like, he just but then why? Like, why would he do that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why he wouldn't just be like sitting out in the open, waiting for somebody to show up as soon as they push the lever. Or why or doesn't he rise up from his I don't know. underground layer? Anyway, and conquer the above I beat. <laughs> James told me how to do it. I beat it turn one on the next thing because turn I, one. Yeah, I oh learned. I learned him onto the hammer thing after the lava was still out and went. Dead in one hit. Oh, I had to do it twice. Well, that's that's regular difficulty though. Yeah, you know, easy it is what it is. Easy difficulty here. Meanwhile, I spent three three attempts at this same fight with me wild shifting into an owl bear trying to slam this thing into the ground, and it's taking zero damage <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> like you can imagine how annoyed I was. <laughs> I was like, this usually one-shots people. Why is this thing taking nothing? <laughs> so anyway, yeah, turn-based combat, not for me. I love it. <laughs> I love turn-based combat. It is my shit. Can you tell me why? Because it just gives you time to think about all your options... Um, I think the controls are really nice. I'm not used to D&D, but I've, I've figured out the action economy. And so you start to get a feel for, like, different strategies you can commonly employ. You can plan things out. I've had fights where I'm like, all right, Asterion will, like, zip over by these guys on the rafters and, like, shove them off and shoot at people from far away. I need to close the gap with my barbarian, this, that, and the other thing. Um, it's just, it beats the pants off of, like, real-time strategy where it's just feverish clicking and resource management. I think turn-based combat gives you a chance to breathe, go grab a donut, sip on something, think about what you're going to do. It looks good, too. I totally get that. Like, I get the idea that that you just kind of sit there and take the time to think about what your moves are going to be. And then, you know, wait for the computer to finish its turn, and then you can execute whatever wonderful plan that you're doing. But the amount of time that goes into it versus the payoff being not what I want it to be at the end <laughs> is enough to make my blood pressure spike. Like, I just can't well, deal with it. should have read the book. And I, again, am trying to get the perfect outcome to my game that I have predetermined before even going into this fight. <laughs> and if I haven't happened to save, like, 20 minutes prior to me walking up to this fight, like, that's on me. I get that. But also, I'm gonna be mad. I'm gonna be mad about it. So... I'm be a little mad. Yeah. Me, that, nah. You get it. You get the idea. Yeah. You're mad that you don't get your way perfectly? Yes. How dare... And you wonder why Baldi I like gate. vats. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, because I feel like I miss more in vats than in this game. Ugh. Anyway, that's my little rant about turn-based combat. And I don't want to knock d and I've played Pathfinder and the generic universal role-playing system. Gerps! And Dungeons Gerps and Dragons as well. I've played all three. Big fan of tabletop RPGs. It's just that the combat will never be my favorite part of it. Although, to be fair, 
This game has more non-combat stuff than I was expecting. You can talk your way out of a lot of fights. You can sneak past a lot of things. Uh, there are a lot of options on how to handle things. You can attack people outside of combat. You can end some fights before they even begin. Um, I'm sure you've probably seen it, dear listener. There's a bunch of videos of people blowing up the entire goblin camp with explosive barrels. They don't have to get into combat. They just literally kill everyone with one little fire arrow. So it's, it's pretty cool. And if you're struggling with a fight, there's no shame in backing off and grinding a bit to get some XP so that you're a higher level to tackle it. Yeah, I one of my favorite things about the goblin camp was after I had cleared it out, mm -hmm. just wandering through it and finding all the places you could be sneaky as a rogue. Like I found a secret little hidden path that will bypass the entrance area and get you straight into the main fortress temple courtyard. Um, I found a couple of like hidden hidey holes that you can slip through as well if you're feeling inclined to the burrow into the inside of the temple. It's really cool. Like they, they planned for all of that, and I am excited to go back and do it again as a different character when I am done playing the two that I'm currently on. Yeah, and I think the Goblin Camp is like my favorite area of Act 1 because of all those different factors. It's very detailed. It's fun to fight in. It's fun to talk your way through. The goblins have a shitload of personality. I wasn't expecting that. There's a weird masochist guy uh, in there, too. guy who's worshipping Lovatar. Yeah, the yeah. guy that whips you. <laughs> it's just... Oh, God. It's such a good area. Like, I think it's the perfect way to, like, really hook the player and be like, there's so many ways you can play this, um, and there's so much to find under every, like, little nook and cranny. It's, I can't recommend it highly enough. I know we said that we'd talk about like Act 1 and we'd be spoiling things, but I really do want new players listening to this. Go to the Goblin Camp, talk to the goblins, experience it firsthand. Uh, it's a good time. Or if you want to, just fight them. You know, I'm not your dad. Do what you want. But I do think it's a great area in Act 1. Did you have a, a favorite area in Act 1? Um... I think just for aesthetic reasons, I really like the Underdark. And I'm not talking about Shar's temple with the Dwergar and the Grimforge. I'm talking about the cave system part of it, specifically. Right. Um, I got in good with the Fungi people. <laughs> <laughs> I got in good with the... What are they called? I don't know. The, they have a name. The Mycelians or something like that? Look it up. Google it. No. Okay, never mind. I got in good with the Mushroom people. They have a beautiful design to them. Like, they look kind of like the zombies from The Last of Us, but more bioluminescent. Um, and they have, like, a really pretty, like, mushroom shelfy sort of sort of camp that they got going on up there. And they got people living with them that are just kind of hanging out because the mushroom people don't care if you're alive. They just care if you're dead. They want to turn your body into a mushroom person. I don't want to be a mushroom person. Well, they're not going to kill you to do it. Like, they'll wait till you die oh. of other causes. Oh, okay. That's very nice of them. Yeah. Or at least that's what the sovereign in charge of the current mushroom colony is up to. Okay. Yeah. You can decide whether or not you want to change that. Nice. Anyway, um, I like the mushroom people section. I like the big tree with the flowers on it that suppress your magic. 
Um, I like the, the mushroom clumps that you run into out in the wild that can, like, catch fire or explode or throw poison everywhere. I hate those. Um, I like the burrowing critter that's just kind of... The bullet. The bullet. I need more bullets. I need more bullet. <laughs> I... Did you... Okay, did you run into the beholder down there? No. See, that was the big thing. That was the first thing I fought down there. Did you find the hag's hideout down there? No. <laughs> There's so much shit in this game, and I'm so upset that I didn't know I could back travel, or, or I didn't know that I couldn't go back uh, once I got to Act 2, because I heard all this cool shit in the Underdark, and I was like, I'll go back to the Underdark later. Okay, Let's so see. tiny spoiler for Act 2. You can, in fact, travel back to the Act 1 areas if you've entered into the Shadowlands already. It's specifically Shar's Temple that you cannot travel out of. Like, the main sanctum of Shar's Temple. Yeah. Just a, just a heads up for anybody who's going to play the game later. But anyway, I really love the Underdark, and I love the abandoned tower in there. That was a section where I really did slow down and read the books, because I was kind of getting the story for what happened to the place through them. Like, that was the only living creature down there for a bit anyway so I you know slowed down took my time and figured out the puzzle of how to get around there so yeah I really like the Underdark but I do want to stress that the game kind of presents it to you as either you go through the Underdark to get to the Shadowlands or you go through the Mountain Pass to get to the Shadowlands and I want you to know that you can do both you cannot get to the Underdark through the Mountain Pass or vice versa but you can get to both of those through the first area of Faerun or the Shadowlands themselves. So if you haven't gone and done the Mountain Pass or the Underdark and instead did the other, make sure you go back and do the other one too before you get to the point in Act 2 where you can't anymore. That's Mount me. The Mountain uh -huh. Pass is gorgeous. I love the I love the temple that's in there. I love the, the people in the crush and you get to learn more about the Githyanki if you go through there. There's even a little side quest with somebody who's not associated with the Githyanki that's definitely worth doing. And um, there's another kind of puzzle that you figure out while you're exploring the area and whether or not you complete it can really kind of determine what happens in that area too. So I won't spoil it for you, but it's definitely worth a playthrough. Very nice. Yeah. All right, Emma. Well, uh, this has been a treat. Again, I appreciate you uh, stopping by in my office. It is a entire 15 steps away from where you're usually hanging out. Um, so I really appreciate you undergoing the commute. Do you have anything you'd like to share or plug before we wrap things up? Yeah, I want to let players know that um, definitely pick up the owlbear cub if you're hanging around the goblin <sighs> camp. It's worth getting into your camp and be nice to scratch. Throw the ball around a few times. Pet him. You know, that's about all I got. Uh, you can find me on Tumblr. Um, I'm Nightingaleic on there. And uh, you can also find me on Archive of Our Own under that same username. Nice. Nice. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter if you want. We're no player connect, I think. Like, at no player connect. I haven't been going on Twitter a whole ton, I'll be honest. Elon Musk is... Zitter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. X, the platform formerly known as Twitter. Um, but you can find me uh, on Twitch, Professor Jam on there. Emma, I have one last question. Can you say the line? Absolutely. NPC you later. <laughs>